Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. All right, and welcome to God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by Seekers and Force Seekers, and I want to say thanks to our listeners, uh, folks who find our topics inspiring and thought-provoking, and uh, hey, you don't have to agree with our position to be open-minded enough to listen. Our mission is to expand our personal faith beyond the boundaries of those whose faith we read of. Consider God to be big enough and awesome enough to speak to each of us right where we are in our walk with Him. Not just speak to us from the past, but right now and in the future. Jesus said to the listeners of His age, Ask and you will see, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. His words are as true today as they were then. He concluded His thought with, It is the Father's uh, will and good pleasure to extend His Spirit to those who desire it. And uh, we're all present here today. I'm Alan and Tabitha. Tracen. And we're all here ready. What about shout outs? And we got some shout outs. Sure. I have a shout out to Angie, Debbie, and Shauna. They're all from Arkansas. And we have a listener in the United Kingdom and one in Mexico. Wow. Hey. Shout out to you folks out there too. Um, Our last two podcasts were on the decline of the modern church and what the model of the church may look like in the not so distant future. And and, and I kindly encourage you to listen to each of our podcasts in the order they're released. You don't have to, of course. It's not mandatory, but uh, the topics are often connected, and I think that's called continuity in the media world. Uh, our seventh episode was on near-death experiences, and it actually just released February the 15th, and we're actually recording this 12th episode, if this makes any sense, on February the 17th, so the podcast release date for this episode is probably going to be around March the 22nd, so this will give you listeners an idea of how far ahead these episodes are recorded, so don't be disappointed uh, if it seems like it takes a long time for us to shout out to you or to comment on some responses or anything like that. We have to record these, keep these way ahead to stay ahead of the curve and if you have a question that you want a quicker response you know maybe not an over-the-air response from us post on our website or our facebook page and let us know we monitor those constantly good deal and today's podcast number 12 tracen yeah this is going to be possibly the most controversial topic we've undertaken so far and one that well maybe not it's not aliens yet but we're going to talk about it go ahead i'm (laughs) I'm just dying i'm I'm punching at the bit to talk about life on it let's go on i'm sorry well it's one that realistically speaking is a topic that turns a lot of folks away from the organized church today 
And the topic is money. Money. Understanding that we're encroaching into a subject that as relevant as it is, it's pretty much taboo if you don't share the mainstream organized church philosophy concerning money. Uh, there are two top things I hear as reasons for not getting involved in the organized church. Uh, it's a feeling of being judged by those who are part of the organized church and the emphasis the organized church appears or seems to put on finances, on money. One expression that may be applicable here is, every time I've ever been to church, it's just one big guilt trip, and they expect for me to pay for the trip. So <laughs> I, just, I thought that was kind of neat. So, uh, in, uh, in uh, segment in, one? Yeah, in segment one, our question is going to be, how big is the emphasis on money and finance? And has this emphasis damaged the reputation of the organized church today? And maybe the better question is, has it has it had a negative influence? Maybe damaged yeah. is kind of a negative has type. Has it reflected negatively? Yeah, there you go. There, That's a good. Uh, Tracy, I think I stepped on part of your introduction there, but I'm that's sorry. That's right. uh, Taking first question first, how big is the emphasis on money and finance? And one might answer the question with, well, uh, it depends. Now, I grew up in a small congregation where there was always a weekly offering taken, but I don't think anyone was embarrassed if they didn't contribute. And as a teenager, I really can't say if, if I remember if I contributed or not every week. Uh, I was surprised. I have been surprised, though, to learn, however, there are congregations that take an offering at every service. They often take up more than one offering if they're trying to support mm -hmm. a special program or a need. And I must say, in the congregations I've been involved with leading and teaching in, I've grown to discourage the assembly from asking for these special offerings. Uh, I must say that it's possible that being part of the leadership of the church for so long may have disconnected me a little from how the emphasis on money may appear to someone like the first-time visitor or a seeker who's just trying to see what the appeal of believers assembling together is all about. Uh, I remember I was pastoring a church one time in, in uh, the church, and they never taken out of the treasury to give to a cause, like a needy family. Really? They always just took up a special offering. And I had one of the older pastors that was in that church, I was pastoring, said, well, now, yeah, I want you to know if you take out of the treasury, you're setting a precedence, precedence for this family, and we may have to do it every time somebody has a need. And I'm oh, thinking, wow. what's that money there yeah, for? What's it there? But said, no, the way we've always done it is we just take up a special offering. We take up our regular offering. And, then and I'm not trying to shine a bad light already on that. I'm just saying I've had yeah. some pretty serious encounters with people yeah. over well, money in the church. And it's hard for Tabitha and I because we are preacher's kids. So we've grown up seeing the business side of church, yeah. for lack of better phrasing. So it's hard for me sometimes to look at church like someone who's just walked through the doors. Right. Well, and that's what we're really trying to do here. Let's mm -hmm. look, what is our appearance here? The truth is, in some churches, I, and I'm going to call them assemblies because, uh, you know, when we call them churches, it's almost like we're looking at the building or that, but uh, assembly, where believers assemble together. So if I say assemblies, that's what I mean. The, uh, the importance and emphasis on finance may be more apparent than others. Now, I've visited, I have visited assemblies where there would be offering envelopes in the pew, where there's a place to put your name on the envelope. You write in there whether you're a check the box, are you a member or not? And you write down the amount you put in the envelope and whether your money was a tithe or an offering or for some other purpose. And then as I browsed through their bulletin, at least half of it was devoted, maybe a whole page of it, uh, devoted to informing the reader of the financial status of things like building funds, debt repayment funds, van transportation, the list is unlimited, goes on and on. 
And then to top it all off, the pastor or some other person before the pastor takes the pulpit would take up some pulpit time and, and to kind of, you know, nudge the people toward giving to this cause or yeah. that cause or give a report, you know, in the under the guise of giving a report of how well we're doing or how good or where we're lacking. So not to mention the weekly offering, offering excuse me, and often one or two weeks prior would be posted on a board at the front of the church for all to look at and observe along with the mission funds and the building funds. And I have to say on this that that's something I've seen every church I've ever been to does that, and it has never occurred to me before that we just, I know that we do it for the sake of clarity and, you know, being open about this Right, right, we want to be, yeah. But it had never occurred to me before. Transparency is the word I was looking for. Uh. And it's not unusual in some churches, some assemblies, I should say, for one group or another to be having a, a fundraising dinner, a yard sale, a car wash, or some other event to raise money for a project they're involved and interested in. And I just want to clarify to the people listening that we're not saying any of these things in and of themselves are bad. No, no, they're no, no, not no, no, by no. any means. We're just we're stating trying to look that at this w- is what it looks like, and sometimes as Christians. We become a little bit blind to the way that we do things because we think that everyone out there should understand the inner workings the way someone who's been in church for right. 30 years does. A member there or yeah. that's been a member, a part of the mm-hmm. church. Uh, we must be open and honest. Even if this type of approach is the norm for the church we attend, from the perspective of the visitor or the occasional attendee, we may be unwittingly putting a glaring overemphasis on money and finance. Now, let me say, I've always been more of a layman-type teacher and leader. I've never I've never pastored a large church by any stretch of the imagination. I have taken churches where there were four people in there. Mm-hmm. I've never even drawn a regular salary a, as such. Uh, I have, however, I've been compensated for things like travel and living expense and things like that. So my experience is, again, limited to a small congregation with very limited resources. And let me add this. This has been my choice in life. I've always enjoyed working in my own secular business and always having minimal financial dependence on the church for my per- for my personal financial support. And a lot of that is, if I want to say something they may not agree with, they can send me home. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to let finance influence or anybody in the church that doesn't agree. There may be, I mean, I've been in those situations where people in the church as leader uh, uh, didn't, People didn't. Are we at nine minutes? Is that what that is? Okay, I'm sorry. There were people didn't always agree with what I had, you know, what I was doing, and you know, I I didn't want salary, finance, anything like that. My family's well-being being a part of my decision. With that said, uh, I do not any way judge or condemn men and women whose sole financial support is their pastoral ministry. I've experienced the complications and demands on my time from leading the small assembly. I can only imagine if it were multiplied by ten. Or 20 or more times. So in answer to the question, is there an overemphasis on uh, on finance in the modern organized church? I think it depends is a fair answer. And to be honest, we surely must agree that that perception might be warranted from certain perspectives. We'd be glad to hear what you think uh, uh, and hear your perspective and how you see things, regular church attender or not. And as for the second part of the question, has it damaged the reputation of the church today? I guess it would say that if our attitudes towards money gives one the impression of overemphasis, then it probably does affect the reputation of the local Mm -hmm. congregation. And unfortunately, let's go ahead and say it, where there are blatant abuses of fundraising and blatant abuses of the treasury, it affects the reputation of all organized churches as a whole. And that'll close us out in segment one. 
right, everybody, welcome back to segment two of our podcast, God Beyond the Bible, by Seekers and For Seekers. Today we're talking about, to kind of phrase it bluntly, the church and money. Yes, and in segment one we asked, is there an overemphasis on money and finance in today's organized church? And we concluded that it depends, but it most certainly could be perceived that way. So our question for segment two is, at what point do we cross the line between the need to fund the local organization and the perception of just plain greed? And uh, I almost stepped on you there again, Tracy, <laughs> but maybe the best way to bring this into focus is to talk about the factors that drive the need for financial support. Last episode, we kind of got focused on the mega church, and we only gave a brief mention to this other phenomenon that has always been around, but we're seeing a resurgence of, and it's the home church or the home Bible study. Now, if you're not familiar with this concept, it's usually a group of folks uh, meeting in someone's home, garage, or other convenient location, uh, or I should say available location probably, for the most part, a more relaxed, somewhat less structured environment, usually made up of a group of folks who have, for one reason or another, become disenchanted with the organized church. Uh, these meetings have little need for a treasury, and and uh, in the only one of these I was, ever in, I was ever involved in, there was never an offering taken up or money asked for in any form. And I have to say, I love everything about the concept of home churches. It's always been something that I thought was just really neat. But there's always, to every good thing, there's always, you know, it, it, it evolves. Yes. Uh, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, these usually work very well. Until the group gets large enough that someone suggests moving the meeting to a more permanent, a dedicated facility. <laughs> and with that, dic dictates the need for a group contribution, right? To yes. offset the expense of the building, utilities, furnishings, all that stuff. Often the first facility is a building, maybe a facility built for another reason. And then, uh, if not abandoned, uh, maybe it's not used for that, needed for that anymore. And uh, it's rented by the group or sometimes donated to the group. The next step is where it starts to get complicated. The group continues to grow until the decision is made to purchase property and erect the building. And behold, we have another modern organized church. Yeah, we're just, it becomes another church. And it's kind of amazing the thing they tried to get away from, mm -hmm. they turn around and mimic that thing because it's so hard for us to get out of that pattern, isn't it? Well, and it's not just that, but I think people a lot of times go into it with, we're not going to let this become and they have a good idea but anytime you introduce money into any situation it automatically gets well, and property yeah, yeah. difficult it I mean, complicates the situation and if you've never you know if you've ever owned a house you know that when property and a building come into play finance becomes mm -hmm. it does a necessity and the reason this scenario is like it is uh, because at this point that we just talked about, there's a clear there are clear expenses involved, and at some uh, point the group has probably designated a leader or a pastor, whatever they want to call it, and they feel led to support him or her financially uh, for their time and efforts, and the financial need just grows from there. And maybe we should say here, be it a Bible group or a group of like-minded people, I don't care if you're astronomers or <laughs> Big, <laughs> Bigfoot hunters or whatever you are, uh, you know, like-minded people share common interest. When it grows, that group grows to the point of purchasing property and erecting buildings. The financial burden is natural. Yes. It's going to follow. 
So let's not stray too far from the intended topic. At what point might the justifiable need for money in Treasury become something that resembles a mega organization whose demand for more and more money to expand its desire and purpose begins to become insatiable, causing the whole effort to take on the persona more resembling that of a giant fundraiser raising effort than a ministry? Now, I know that sounds pretty harsh, but well, I'm just saying that. And I'm going to state my opinion here, and I'm going to just highlight in big letters. This is just my opinion on this. But I think when organizations become, you know, so caught up in their latest fundraising effort that they forget that they're supposed to be a presence in their community, that that's when the problems really start to arise. It is. And, and At least in my mind. And, and even, you know, great volunteer groups can just get mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. of hand. Uh, truthfully, don't we all get a little turned off by those big TV and radio ministries that purchase their own airtime and, and pay dearly for it, really, to get their message out and then usually spend the last one-fourth of the broadcast time doing what? Asking for money. Asking for money. Uh, even the best, most respected evangelists and teachers tend to do this. Uh, let's just be let's just be cut to the bone honest. We can't turn on the television these days without viewing some sad pictures of some sad situation, pulling at our heartstrings and begging for our support. So to get away from it, we get in our car and we go out for dinner or movie, and uh, there's a person on every corner holding up a sign begging for our money with the promise of God's blessing for uh, our generosity. And I guess the point is, it may be easier than we think for something we really believe in to morph into something that becomes more about money and finance than promoting our message or cause. And uh, have you guys got anything to comment on this end well, of this segment? You know, I think that sometimes organizations get caught up on the finance more than the money because the cause is, becomes no longer the point of the mission. Um, one of the stories that a person had told me was, you know, let's say that Nancy Sue sees a natural disaster happen and she feels really led to be a part of this recovery effort after this natural disaster. So as a church, we feel like this is something that we should take upon ourselves to support her. And we do. And then suddenly, you know, Nancy has a team now of people <laughs> who go out after yeah. these recovery efforts. And the church is still raising money for this team. And what Nancy's doing, her heart is still in the right place. And her team's heart is in the right place. But now the church becomes more caught up on raising money to keep the fund for what Nancy's doing. Well, and sometimes for Nancy, it falls on her shoulders and says, Now, Nancy, yes. if this is going to continue on, you have to raise mm -hmm. this much of the money you're and. It, fundraising, let's just be honest, it can just get crazy. It can, it can and, get well, crazy. and it's not just that. Everyone has kids in school who do the fundraisers oh. and stuff, and, and I've been there. I mean, I know with my kids being involved in extracurricular activities, but in the church, I have felt guilty for just not having the money to be able to support every ministry. Mm -hmm. that I, And then you leave with that feeling of, I wish I could do more, but you can't. Well, sure. And uh, so, you know, money's a very emotional, uh, yeah. many-faceted yes. issue that plays big roles in it. But our whole point here, let's don't lose our point of the topic, is, is do we sometimes maybe come off to people that, you know, it's about the money. Right. It's about the big building. Mm -hmm. It's about the money. It's about the parking lot. It's about... You know, well, let's just be honest. I'm, be, I'm saying the say things. I can say as a Christian that sometimes, you know, the organized church comes off that way to me. 
Well, yeah, I mean it, it can, and then like I said, you, I'm just I'm just talking about uh, all of these, uh, uh, all the emphasis. I guess that's really just mm -hmm. all we can say. Mm -hmm. The emphasis that gets put on money, and then we get to thinking now. And of course, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. This is closing out our segment too. But you know, then we start thinking about now. Does does you know is is it God? Right. Is this is this God? God, are you there? Are we? Is this you that's needing my money? Okay, <laughs> let's close out because we're going to cover that in the next segment. That brings us to the end of segment two. back seekers to God beyond the Bible. Today's topic we could extend into multiple episodes but we've chosen to just kind of approach the issue and move on and that issue today is the church and money. In segment one we discussed the genuine need for finance in the organized church and how that request for money might seem to be overemphasized. And in segment two of this episode we discussed how the financial need is averted in the growing home church community, but how easy it is for that effort to morph into just another organized assembly. And here in segment three, and before I start segment three, I had a friend ask me, said, why do you do the pauses? Why do you do the music <laughs> yes. and the pauses between the segments? And he said, is it for commercials? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's actually uh, so that we can draw back and remind everybody what the topic is and remind ourselves and we can just stay keep some there again continuity in the episode so that's really what that's for we're rabbit chasers by nature yeah. stick <laughs> and so so here we go uh so in segment three we'll dive into the controversial question does god need my money or maybe more appropriately is god impressed with my giving is do i get favors he's showing me favor because of my i mean however you want to ask the question Okay, does anyone else find it as interesting as I do that one thing that almost all denominations agree on, now they may disagree vehemently on almost every topic, but one thing that all denominations, I'm going to go ahead and say it, agree on is finance. Mm -hmm. Let's get it out there. The organized church under almost all denominational banners support the tithe. Again, we're not trying to paint everyone with a broad stroke and one brush. I don't know. I'm just talking about kind of the denominations I know about. Let's just go ahead and dive in at the deep end of the pool. Stop ignoring the elephant in the room, whatever analogy we choose to use. The doctrine of the tithe is something the modern, modern church, for the most part, loves to promote. Mm -hmm. And if you're not familiar with this concept, it's the idea that the first 10% of all we earn belongs to God and is to be dedicated to Him. And a whole bunch, if not most churches, promote that as the amount you put in the offering. That's the amount you throw into the offering plate. You're giving to God. That's what you're doing. That's, that's His. That belongs. In short, if you obtain $100 from any source by any means, $10 of it is to go in the offering plate or put, into the, put it in church lingo that belongs to God. And you should put money over that if you want to give an offering mm -hmm. to the Lord. Right. It comes over that 10%. Seems to be something that I'm coming up on a lot of. I visit a lot of open Christian forums. And uh, that seems to be the take. Mm -hmm. Now, anyone who's been part of the church scene for very long has heard some dynamic and inspiring message supporting this doctrine and the benefits of practicing tithing. Now, let me inject a disclaimer right here. 
If giving 10% of your income to the local church is what you feel the Holy Spirit has compelled you to do, by all means do it. But if you're participating, first of all, let me say, I didn't write down here, but if, if you think God is an investment firm <laughs> and you're looking for a return on it, this is not what right. giving is. Now, I'm going, and I know I'm going to blow some people out of the water here, and some people are going to get upset with me, especially people in leadership roles here. But if that's what God leads you to do, but if you're participating in this practice begrudgingly, or with the fear that if you don't, God's going to somehow punish you financially or otherwise, then you need to listen to the remainder of this podcast. The concept of tithing is strictly an old covenant concept designed to support one of the 12 tribes of Israel called the Levites, who were not allowed to own property or engage in commerce, but instead were set aside for the maintaining of the temple, the administering of religious rites and customs of the Hebrew or Jewish nation under God's nation covenant with them. Yeah, the tithe was essentially to keep the Levites alive. I mean, it fed them and allowed them to offer offerings to God of their own because they had nothing. Well, they weren't by allowed. They were temple keepers. They were religious order keepers. Uh, I'm in awe at the modern church's proclamation of being a new of us having a new covenant in Christ, but yet it's willing to adopt this one old covenant law into new covenant doctrine. Uh, most will base their support and argument of this doctrine on the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Who hasn't heard a message from there? <laughs> Who's speaking to Israel? But even more is really scolding the Levites for their acceptance of the tithe from the other 11 tribes. And then, I guess, to put it, I don't know how to put it, squandering it instead of applying it to the, uh, instead of applying the appropriate amount of it to the upkeep of the temple. Am I right? Yeah, they were misspending their funds. <laughs> and, and, and so... I personally believe, you know, that's where we get the deal. I just might as well go ahead and say, that's what, would a man rob God? Mm -hmm, well, you're robbing right. God if you don't do, if you don't give this. Okay. I personally believe we should support the church we attend or any other organization that we're part of that accrues expense. But to promote the idea that to place money in an offering plate is giving to God and that his favor and blessing is somehow contingent on this effort, that's just flawed human thinking. It is. And... I think it's funny that we think that God can't do anything without our money. And I mean, I'll say here too, in my experience, I've used the offering plate as a guilt alleviator in no. my day to day. I don't have to give of my time or the things that are really <laughs> important to money's me. Money's easier if money's easier. As a matter of fact, some of us live in a life today. I'm not saying that I particularly do, but for any of us, sometimes it's easier to give $20 than it is to go out and get our hands dirty. Yes. Or getting too involved in the subject. I'm There we go. But that's a bad road to go down because uh, it sounds like you're preaching at somebody. <laughs> but when the Apostle Paul or any of the other New Testament, New Covenant writers approached the topic of money or giving, it was always from a perspective of generosity, not obligation. Paul especially encouraged the early church to give of their abundance. That means to me, if you feel like you've been blessed beyond necessity, then use some of that extra money for good causes out of a generous heart, a heart that feels blessed and wants to share the blessing with others who might be in need. I am appalled when I hear preachers and teachers say things like, you haven't given it all until you give more than the 10% that's required of you. And I think that Paul was talking about in that abundance more than just finances. You know, he was whatever you have a lot of. We live in a rural area here, so sometimes the abundance is a literal abundance of vegetables made out of the a, garden. Made a lot of corn this year, and I'm yeah. going to share it with the and people. And I love watching people who, you yeah. know, 
bring it to church and hey if you guys know anyone that can maybe use some of these vegetables that can't grow we, their we, own we've or, got folks in our assemblies that have chickens and they're bringing yes. the eggs you'll go out you'll go out and sit down in the seat of your car and there's a dozen eggs there mm-hmm. from their abundance and that's that's it too right and and i'm not knocking giving or generosity and we're not trying to again paint everybody with one big brush but now christian friends let's be honest about it we can get a little caught up in this money thing we can yes. really get caught up in this and people can get really uncomfortable when you're reaching in their pocket all the time Mm -hmm. or you're getting back i get uncomfortable well you can get you know and this could just go on forever uh anything you guys want to say before i conclude this well i just like and i know you write most of our notes for us to kind of as a guideline but i love what you wrote the it's generosity and obligation. Those are two opposite words. Obsidians, mm-hmm. yeah. Obsidians. And you have to take a step back and see where you're coming from when you're doing it. Because if it's out of obligation, it's, you know. There's and no I may point. have skipped something here. I want to say about our, I, that I, well, I think I'm, it's probably in this. I think it's in the summary here. So I'm going to go ahead and just read it. Have you guys finished? Yeah, Tracing anything so. you wanted to say? I mean, Tracen's done some polls on this and, and you know, just some unofficial well, re- yeah. Reddit Reddit polls or something and, and you know the I can you can almost tell when someone's coming from. It is your obligation to give this and this is sure. God's money that, and then you hear the other people say, Well, you know, I'm a little turned off from this. So And you know, we've come across people too who say things that, you know, their church is barely keeping the lights on. They don't put right, an emphasis. Yeah. This isn't a like you said, this isn't a broad brush painting no, everyone. No, 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 no. But we've all seen, you know, well, the pastor needs a new jet. Yes. <laughs> the leader. <to> him. <laughs> Just saying he needs a jet because a it's, it's a, it's a shame, for, shame for him to have to take public transportation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm getting ugly there. I'm the, okay. Conclusion. I believe in generosity. I believe in supporting the local church I attend. It has financial responsibilities. But I also believe that the local church should finance all its functions from the general treasury. Now, that's my personal opinion. In other words, if we want the youth to engage in something or do a mission or a project, it should all be contingent on the money in the treasury. Folks should not come into the assembly and be dogged or begged or shamed into giving more and more. I believe His Holy Spirit can and will move people to be generous and support with their abundance the things that need their support. I know by experience that if God has something He wants to be accomplished, he is perfectly able to provide for it. Yes, he is. I believe that, as a matter of fact, I'm just going to add here just off the top of my head, I've had people to send money to things that we were doing from out of state that don't even, I'm not talking about this podcast, I'm talking about in our in our mm-hmm. assemblies, and people said, I was led to send this money, and we were right, and it's like, how did, how did because God can do it, right? Uh, just like I believe this podcast is a perfect example of that theory at work. God has spent years giving us the equipment and resources to do what we're doing right here today. Mm-hmm. Again, our intent's not to inflame or anger anyone with our subject matter, just to liberate and encourage each person to seek out your own relationship with the master uh, that he came here to initiate. In other words, if I set you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, if you're a church leader listening to this, <laughs> I'm afraid there may not be very many, but I'm just <laughs> saying, if you're a church leader listening to this, please honestly examine examine your assembly's approach to money is it constantly going to the people and asking for more and more and more ask yourself if i were a visitor here a person completely unfamiliar with the way the church operates 
might I get the impression that this church assembly puts a great deal of emphasis on money and the treasury. Well, until next time, fellow seekers, God's grace, peace, and love be on you and yours from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.